This is Tim Staten with Tim Stating the Obvious. What is this podcast about? It's simple. You are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's to church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday, relatable and usable advice. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of uh, Tim Stating the Obvious. In the last episode, we talked about finishing your goals. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to listen to that one as well. I'm doing a mini-series on goals. Since we're heading into the new year, and it's a great way to set goals ahead of time before we enter the new year so we can make the most of our time and hit the ground running. This episode is a two-parter. The first segment, we will be talking about personal goals and the second half is how to incorporate your goals and nest them with your professional work goals. What I mean by this is that every organization has a set of goals and objectives that they must meet. However, for some, they may not match up with your personal goals. So in the second segment, we're going to talk about how to nest your personal ones for your upcoming goals that you have uh, for the next year to create a win-win scenario. Now, as we go into the new year, uh, it's a common practice to come up with New Year's resolutions. I am totally against this idea. Here's why. One, it's just a list of things that you can think of that are low-hanging fruit that really don't enhance your life. And two, they are just concepts and ideas. They're not goals that can be achieved. They're just things that you had thought about at the time when you sat down for about probably 30 minutes to go, I'm going to come up with a New Year's resolution. And you just listed out a bunch of things that you thought would be good for you. They're just things and ideas or concepts. They're not goals. And lastly, I'm against doing anything that is not productive or doing something that will better myself or my family's life and that is actually actionable. So as I was looking uh, at a few research groups about New Year's resolutions and I found some interesting insights. Here's what I found as to the most common New Year's resolutions. First of all, roughly 24% of people in America make made uh, New Year's resolutions last year when they were surveyed and less than 50% stated that they stuck with their New Year's resolutions throughout the entire year. Now, here's the top 10 New Year's resolutions for last year. And I'm pretty sure as I look look through, they're the same top 10 that there were the year before and the year before that. So the first one is improving fitness and exercising more, then losing weight, saving more money, improving your diet, pursuing a career or starting a new career, spending more family time, develop a new hobby, spend less time on social media, quit smoking, and renovate your house or redecorate a part of their home. Now, I think inherently everybody wants to do those things. I'm not surprised that less than 50% completed anything that was on that list. Like I said before, these are ideas and concepts. They're not goals. I mean, look at the first one, improve fitness or exercise more. Like looking at a, even if you look at the gym statistics, 12% of all new gym memberships occur in January and 80% quit within five months. So what you're saying is, is, you know, if it's improving my fitness or exercising more, if I join a gym in January and I go for three to four weeks, did I already make my goal by exercising more? Nah, not really. Unless you exercised none last year then you didn't, you didn't meet that uh, resolution. 
Also, I really don't like it when people say that they want to lose weight, right? Because weight, in essence, doesn't mean much. That's just how much you weigh. I think um, that is the worst absolute metric of health is just by going off your weight. I think body fat is a much better metric. If you don't know what your body fat is and you're serious about losing weight, then you can buy a biometric impedance scale you know, off of Amazon really cheap or, or online, you get it really cost effective and that can give you a ballpark of where you're at. I mean, usually they're about 10 to, you know, five to 10% off of where you really are. But if you're just starting out, that's not really that big of a deal because at least you have a starting point of where you can make a goal to decrease body fat. That way you measure good mass versus not so good mass. You know, and it's no wonder why people fail again, because it's an idea. It's not a goal. Now, getting into what you can do, you know, three things I do every year is the first thing I do is I review and reassess my long-term goals. I take a look at, you know, where I've come, what I've done, what I'm doing and where I'm at. And do I need to adjust anything in my goal or my plan based on where I'm at? The next thing I do is I review my motivations for why I'm doing these things as I'm updating them. I look at why I started doing them in the first place, why I started the goal in the first place. And did my motivation change or is my motivation still the same on that? And because your motivation could change along the way, but but I think it's very important. For you to, to review why you started something in the process, especially if it's a goal that takes you a year or two years or three years, and you may get discouraged along the way, reviewing why you started and reviewing the motivation of why you're doing something is invaluable. You know, it will help propel you through the sticking points and keep you on the right track by keeping your real motivation in the forethought why you're doing it. And then the last thing I do is I schedule checkpoints about every 90 days throughout the next year to reassess and update as needed. So what I'm doing is is I'm constantly saying, okay, every 90 days I'm going to review my annual goals or my long-term goals, and I'm going to keep those in the forefront of my thought. And then I'm also going to review my motivations, and then I'm also going to continuously reassess them. As I'm doing that, I am making my goals more actionable along the way throughout the year. That way, I'm more likely to achieve them by the end of the year or achieve them earlier uh, if the conditions are met for it to do that. So once I do that, then I develop one or two goals to work on in the next year. And I say one to two because I think if you get past that, you if it's a true goal that you're working on, you're really not going to be able to do more than one or two. You might be able to. Some people might set 15 goals or 10 goals or even five goals, and say, you know what, I'm going to achieve these things. You might be able to, but that's depending on where you are in the phase of your life. What I mean by that, like if you're single or you're married, if you have kids, the age of your kids, they take up more or less of your time. And that dictates, you know, what, where you can actually focus on your personal goals. And you just have to come to terms and accept like that's where you are in this stage of life. And I'm going to get to, you know, planning realistically about that. But coming into a false illusion of where you're at in your life does not help you when it comes to actually implementing your goals. Because having that false perception of where you're really at doesn't really help you. You need to be realistic 
when we create these goals. Otherwise, you're never going to achieve them. And then I use the smarter goal method. I know a lot of people may not like it. I like it because it's actionable, measurable, and it's time oriented. And then also goes back into the reassessment method as well, where you can continuously do that. And I write this um, in my first page of my planner, what my annual goals are. And then every month I look at them and rewrite them. And then every quarter I rewrite them because I think it's something powerful when you actually write and you rewrite stuff. It becomes ingrained into your mind. And when you rewrite your motivations for it, it constantly brings it back to the forefront of your mind on what your goals are and why you're doing them. I think that's super important. Then the next thing is I reevaluate my time management because we're all busy, you know, and just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive. So what I do uh, is I develop my perfect week scenario. And I said, in the perfect world with all conditions correct, this is the time that I want to do everything. And then I add in all my obligations around those times. And sometimes I may have to move my perfect you know, time slot to do something so I can get after it and do it. Because like I said, it all depends on where you're at in your stage in your life and your phase in your life, right? So this may mean that I may have to get up earlier to focus on something or stay up later to get something done and work on a goal that I may have. And that's because it's necessary in order to do it. I'm being realistic about my actual time. How much time do I have to actually get something done? You know, I may have to invest in some mobile technology to work on it in my car. And when I have downtime, I have some free time or while I'm traveling somewhere, or maybe even be able to take it out of the home so I can work on it like in the backyard or in the front yard or wherever is more conducive for me to be able to work on it when I can. And then I pay attention to what is most important at that time, focusing my energy and time on that thing when it is needed. So let's say I use this podcast, for example. You know, this is just a goal of mine to have a podcast and to continually generate uh, content for it. I want it to grow. I want it to get better. But that takes time, all right? So I, I schedule out my time, and then when that time hits, I do it. And then I when my research time hits, I do my research time hits. And then when that research time is over, it's done. It's over. I'm not worrying about it. I'm not focusing on it. When it's time for me to be at work, I'm at work and I'm focusing on my energies and at work. When I'm at the house, I'm focusing my energy and time on my family and my spouse because that they deserve that time for me. And I'm not worrying about anything else because it's not that time for me to worry about those things. I'm in the moment and I'm focusing on those things. And then the last thing I, well, the second to last thing I do is I tell two or three people that are closest to me about my goals and what I want to accomplish throughout the year. So that way they can keep me accountable. And if they see like I'm striking or, you know, straying away, uh, my spouse is really good. If she doesn't hear me talk about something for a while, she was like, hey, she was what I haven't heard you talk about this while you said you wanted to do it. Like, what's up with that? She doesn't do it in a mean way, but it, it reminds me of yeah, Maybe I'm not paying as much attention to that because I'm not talking about as much of it as I usually am. And that helps motivate me and keep me back on track. Or maybe I'm just getting frustrated and discouraged about something. And then, you know, those people that are closest to you can help motivate you through your discouraging moments because you're going to have them and overcome it and then get through it. Then lastly, I, repri I reprioritize my goals in order of importance. 
because last year's goals, especially if they're long-term, right? If I got a five-year plan and I said, well, last year, goal number three was, was priority number three. Well, maybe goal number three needs to be goal number one this year because it will enhance the quality of another goal towards my five-year plan. Or maybe I need to distance myself from a goal to gain more clarity and perspective about it if I'm not happy with the way that goal is pursuing. Sometimes it's okay to distance yourself from a goal and pursue on something else um, just to get more clarity about it. But you have to be strategic about what you do with it and you have to be intentional about what you do with it. Not with what we talked in the last episode where you have an idea you get in the project and then you have another idea and you never go back to that goal. It's about reprioritizing what's important when it's important and recognizing that time and space. So that's kind of, that, that's how I view it. You know, so when I think about what I should plan for next year's gold, goals, I do that by building off of this year's goals and it all supports our five-year plan. So I always start in the last quarter, the last three months of the year, I really look towards, okay, what am I going to be able to get done this year? And can I get it done? And then I make sure I I plan out and get those things done accordingly. But then I also look at what can I build off of those to enhance it, to make it better for the five-year plan. And those then start to become my next year's goals. So it's like a stepping block. So we're getting better year after year after year. But that's for your personal goals. And so in this second segment, what we're going to talk about is how you can nest your personal goals with your professional work-related goals. Every organization has goals and benchmarks that they are told that they will work towards to achieve, you know, the betterment for that organization. And those goals should be communicated down to every person in the organization so they can buy into that organization that they work for. So what I like to do with people uh, that I work with is communicate the goals and objectives for the next coming year, the next coming quarter, whichever is appropriate for the level of, of who I'm talking to when we need to talk to them. Then I ask them to think about how they can incorporate their personal goals to be in line and align them with the organization's goals. I do this because if it's something that's personal to you, then you're more likely to be more active in the process of that because it directly benefits you. The second reason why I do that is because I want to know if you really understand what the organizational goals are and how you can tie into it. And so that becomes a mutual win-win. So one, you get to work on something that personally benefits you. And the secondary effect of that is it benefits the organization. And then I get the understanding of whether or not that person actually understands what that goal and objective is. Because sometimes what you say doesn't mean what they heard. Um, And I have found that often a lot. I keep asking myself. um, I remember several years ago or something happened and I was thinking, did I I not say that right? Because I don't think that person is understanding what I'm saying. How can I communicate this so they can hear it? But that's a whole different episode uh, that we can talk about. But for right now, with goal settings, that's how I try to align uh, people's personal goals and with organizational goals. So one, they feel two, like, hey, you know, this organization cares about me and my personal goals, which I do. And two, I can get the benefit of helping that person achieve their goal and achieve the organization goals at the same time, which I think is super awesome if you can do that. So for example... Um, you know, if improving customer interaction between frontline workers and the customer is an objective, yes, it's a poorly worded objective, but in essence, that's what it is. Then fitness and health of an employee would be a great personal alignment goal. 
because studies have shown that being physically more active with exercise reduces stress and increases self-confidence. So if I come into a, a situation where a customer is getting easily frustrated and lashes out on an employee, that employee would be able to handle the situation better because they're less stressed, one. Two, they generally feel good about themselves and they have self-confidence and they'll be able to de-escalate the situation and work through it. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to have interpersonal skills and all the other skills to deal with a frustrated customer, but if you generally feel better and you feel good about being where you're at and you feel confident in yourself, you're less likely to take that as like in a personal attack from the customer who's just frustrated about whatever it is they're frustrated about. They're just lashing out at you because you're the face of that organization and you're taking the brunt of that frustration. So if you're more physically fit, then you're less likely to take that more personal. You're like, okay, you're getting mad about the situation. You're not getting mad at me. And I've encountered some situations where uh, somebody has lashed out and I was like, yo, I had nothing to do with that. Like that's, that's something that happened. I'm here to help work through this with you, but it didn't apply. Like it's not me. You know, I'm not the person who did it, but that's what the customer sees and that's what they generally take out on a customer service representative. So, you know, I can personally attest to this in another way too. I go through my ups and downs with my fitness because I have three kids. Two of them are then under the age of 10. They require a lot of my time and attention. So I'm not as physically fit as I'd like to be and I'm not as, I'm not as productive at work. Um, just because I'm more sluggish and I'm more tired. I don't handle stressful situations very well then at work because I don't feel as confident because I know that, you know, I'm off my game. But when I'm in my optimal zone, I feel better. I'm more confident. I can handle tons of stressful situations a lot easier because I know I'm not taking my interpersonal on how I'm feeling about myself and taking it out as other people's projections of me of how I feel, if that makes sense. So just because I may not feeling that great about myself, if somebody else comes up to me and they're frustrated about something, then I take that as a personal attack of, oh, these people are not happy with me either. I'm not happy with me, then these people are not happy with me. So that just compounds the situation. But when I feel better about myself and I'm more confident about it, then I don't have that additional level of mental, emotional, uh, induced personal stress added into that situation. So if that's kind of happened to you before, then you can kind of relate to what I'm talking about. If not, then it's probably just me, but I think most people can attest to that. But going back to the personal and work goal alignment, think about it this way. There are 168 hours in a week. The average person spends about 40 to 70 hours a week at work. The average person gets about six to eight hours of sleep a night. You know, a person commutes to work two hours a day, both ways, like to work and coming home. And that leaves 108 hours for family time, daily living tasks, leisure, working on your goals. And you can make the most out of your time that you have that week if you incorporate them while you're actually at work. It gives you more time while you're working for your employer to benefit their goals but also you're working and you're benefiting your own goals at the same time. That gives you more time that you can work on those goals. Oh, and those remaining 108 hours are pretty much broken down to about 15 hours a day, which sounds like a lot, but before you know it, it can be gone. You know, perfect example is you get up in the morning. Let's say, you know, you have your morning routine and your morning routine usually takes you about an hour and a half. Well, that's an hour and a half out of your 15 hours that day that you have to work. So now you have about 14 and some change. Then you go into 
uh, getting, you know, you're traveling and you're commuting to work. And if you have your kids, you're getting them up and you're getting them ready and you're getting them fed. And that's probably about another hour and a half to two hours, depending on the level of where your, your kids are at. Uh, being able to take care of themselves or you having to do, do most of it for them to get them ready for the day. Then you got to take them to childcare or take them to school or wait for them to get on the bus. That's probably about another 30 to 45 minutes. Then you commute to work another, you know, however long it takes you to get there. You go through your eight hour shift. Then you got to pick them up. You got to get them from childcare. Then you've got to, you know, come home and they have homework and then they have other competing requirements that take up your time. And before you know it, out of that 15 hours that day, a good seven to eight hours are taken up by other things that you cannot control that just have to get done. And that's okay. That's what life is, you know. But if you think about it, you've got to be able to plan those things in. That's why I go back to the perfect scenario week. you got to plan in your realistic obligations in there too and adjust your, your goals around that. Adjust the time that you're going to work on things around that. So if you got to get up earlier, get up earlier. If you got to stay up later, stay up later. If you find time where you're trying to work on something and you're like, you know what, instead of eating lunch, I'm going to go to my car. I'm going to work on something or I'm going to go to the gym if fitness is a thing because we just talked about it. it's like the number one thing that people want to do this, you know, every year. So, you know, that all goes into it. Um, you know, finding that right time to be more effective and productive on the things that you're working on. It's really important that I think for employers to find ways to incorporate people's personal goals into the company's goals and find that alignment. You can find that alignment. You're going to get a win-win. The employer, the employee is going to be a lot happier and the employer is going to be happy because everybody's winning in that situation. So those are just, you know, a couple of things that I was thinking about this year as we were going into, you know, 2022, you know, finishing up our goal strong and then preparing for next year you know how do we really do that what does that look like um and if you're an employer i really encourage you if you haven't done that why don't you take a look at how can you really gain buy-in by getting people to tell you what some of their personal goals are and how that can align with your work goals and your you know with the goals of the organization are you'd be surprised at at how well some of those goals really tie in well together so before we end i'm actually really curious if you you know what are how do you plan on making goals for next year do you do something similar do you do something different comment and let me know uh have you had the opportunity to incorporate your personal goals at work uh with your work ones and how did that work out for you what went well what didn't go well if you're in an employer how did how did you incorporate that with your employees i'm really curious on on how that worked and lastly if i could ask a favor of you if you could if you got some value out of this podcast Please subscribe and share this podcast with one or two other people who you think would benefit uh, or just like the content. I'm glad you listened to this episode and enjoyed it. Next episode, we'll be talking about finishing strong and giving it all you've got for this year. Thank you for listening. I'm Tim Staten, stating the obvious.